Greetings this morning. We're thankful to be here, and we do have uh, we do have joy. Uh, Anthony prayed for that for me, and I feel that this morning. It's a precious thing to be a child of God and among His people, and have had a uh, a heritage. And when I speak of a heritage, I speak of of all of those things that brought to us the knowledge of truth. For some it would have been parents or church or association, but the Spirit of God brought into our lives, each of us, in some way, the knowledge of His will and of His truth, His salvation, redemption that's available, and, and we have been gifted with His Holy Spirit. So we're going to speak of the, of the Spirit in creation and in the world. So we'll speak a little bit about creation and then we'll move on to how the Lord, through His Spirit, is working in the world itself and among the kingdoms of the world. So as we think of the Spirit of God, there's just a couple things we'd like for us to think about through all these sessions. We're going to be leading from, from this topic through several other topics on into Friday when we'd like to think about how the Spirit is working in our own hearts. So keep this chain and where we are leading in mind as we meditate on all these truths. None of these are to be isolated. We're leading up to that point where we will consider how God is working and how He wants to work in our own life through His Spirit. Something that we want to keep in mind as we think of the Spirit of God I don't know if any of you have ever struggled with this feeling that God is, is out there somewhere. Like He set things in motion. He's just out there watching from a distance and someday He's going to collect all the records and bring every man into judgment. I'd like to tweak that for us because the reality is that God is right here. He is right here. He's close. And the truth of His Spirit is something that magnifies that. I think that you know, all of us know, that if we just murmur a prayer, not audibly, in our own heart, we know that God hears that prayer. I ask you this morning, how close is that? God is right here. So that's one truth we want magnified this morning and throughout this week, is that God is, is right here with us. Secondly, that God is true and righteous, and all that He does is right. So, keep that in mind also as we, as we move through some of the ways God has worked in, His, in creation, among the kingdoms of the world, in the patriarchs, in the, the apostles, in the church, and in us. Remember that. Never doubt the the righteousness of God in all of His working. Because there will be reason for any of us, all of us, sometimes to doubt what God has done and is doing. So keep those things in mind. I think uh, one of the scriptures says this, and it's just one of the sweetest expressions about God's righteousness and the rightness of His working. It says this, As for God... His way is perfect. So let's just know that. 
So one thing about, uh, we'll use an acronym this morning. We may not do this every day, but the acronym we'd like to use is just the word WORLD, W-O-R-L-D. And just some thoughts drawn from, from each letter of <coughs> that word. Our PowerPoint this morning is just a, just a pulling together of some, some uh, photos and drawings just to add some interest and, and keep us alert and give us something besides myself to look at and all those things. So we won't, uh, we won't go clear through our talk this morning with, with uh, PowerPoint, but part of the way through we will. So in creation, turn your Bibles to Genesis, the first chapter. I'd like to not forget to actually turn to, to the scriptures this morning. It's just nice for us to look at the printed page. This is a uh, probably one of the most doubted <coughs> passages in the world. Around the globe. This this first couple verses here are are the portion of the history that's contained in the scripture that is the most doubted. But let's read it. It is true. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now, what you picture when you think about about the, the globe all being covered with water before the, before the land mass appeared and the Spirit of God moving, moving upon the waters. It means that God was present there. It means that He was very present and that He was working. God was, was doing things. Well, what was God doing? Have you ever given thought to what God was doing? as he moved upon the face of the waters. He was beginning the process of creating the world and we'll move forward. This, the letter W here, we'd like to just, for it to represent working in creation. I don't forget to give you that. Working in creation. This is the first beginning that we have of the record of the Spirit of God. We'd like to turn to Psalm 33 and notice some words that are given us there. Beautiful words just describing creation. Psalm 33 and beginning in verse 6. We'll read through the ninth verse. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them, by the breath of his mouth, he gathereth the waters of the sea together as a heap. He layeth up the depth in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So when we think of, of the Spirit of God in creation, think first of all about, about the voice and breath of God creating, creating the world, creating all that we see and know. And it's amazing as we, as we learn more about space and the great realm that is out there, how much more was created than men even knew from the beginning of consciousness about, about nature and all. 
Think of all of these stars and all of the constellations and all of the things that you have seen that now something like the Hubble telescope can bring into view. It was all, it was all made by God by the breath of His mouth. That's the Spirit of God working. So do not think of the Spirit of God as something that is just, that is just passive, like this little misty smoke. The Spirit of God is very active and powerful and strong. And remember that, as Jesus said, and I think John 4, God is a Spirit. So when we think of the power of God and all that God thinks and wills and does and accomplishes, it is all being done by His Spirit. This says that the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. I'd like to take you to, to Deuteronomy 32 and look at a little something there that just gives us a uh, little insight into what God was doing. may not seem very, very deep, but just ponder this. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 32. And eleven. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on wings. So the Lord alone did lead them, and there was no strange God with them. Think of that 11th verse. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young. What's the eagle doing? This, this passage says this, this mother eagle is fluttering over her young. That word fluttereth is the same word as Genesis 1-2 moved. You ponder that for a little. That in this word moved, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the, of the waters or over the waters. That there was care here. There was planning here. There was something in mind. There was preserving here. And of course, there was creation here. As an eagle fluttereth over her young. <clears throat> Let's go to the next letter O in this acronym world. O. We'd like this to represent simply this phrase out of nothing. So God was creating out of nothing. Now, this is an amazing thing. And I have the reference here of Hebrews 11.3. Let's turn to that because it expresses that in, a, in an interesting way. Hebrews 11 and 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God is the breath out of his mouth 
so that things which are seen were not made of things that do appear. Although I have ever known, all I have ever known is taking something and making something. We've built houses, we've done remodeling, we've, we've uh, all manner of work, many of us have labored in, but we're always taking something and making something. But God, by His creative power, through the power of His Spirit, the breath of His mouth, created the world out of nothing. Now I want to do, um, connect this, secondly, with a further thought regarding where we are leading this week. Think of God's power by His Spirit to create something out of nothing. I suppose that all of us have had this feeling, kind of a self-deprecating feeling as we've thought about how bad we are and the habits we can't seem to overcome and... and uh, we're just, we're just not worth anything, and how can God do anything with this? And, and I want to be, I want to follow after God, but uh, the Spirit, the Scripture says we're called to be saints, and how, how can I say that I'm a saint, and I'm just, I'm nothing. Great! Amen. That's what God builds out of. That's what He makes out of. That's what He creates out of. He starts with nothing. And it actually is like this, that until you come to the place, what we're going to say, until you come to the place where you are able and willing by the help of God and His Spirit to repent and come to that melted down place on the floor where you acknowledge your nothing, He won't be able to do very much with you. That's where we're headed as we think of God in creation building, creating, and creating out of nothing. Well, like what can God do? What can God do with, uh, you know, what did He start with? Well, He started with nothing. But He began to work, and what has He done with nothing? Just think of all of the, uh, the pictures of all the things you have seen in the world, the beautiful things you have seen. God made those and He made them out of nothing. And we, we just treasure uh, pictures of creation and all that God can do. Each of us have stood on mountain crests and cliffs and looked at what God has done. It's, it's an amazing thing. And all of that He was able to do. It came out of His own heart. I try to reason through six days of creation and you know it's a little bit of a stretch to think about about uh, all the things God made. You know, there's, I've heard that there's 10,000 species. Think about that. Is that a lot? 10,000 species? Well, that's just beetles. That's all. So think about design. Think about, think about the thought process that went through. Sometimes I try to reason it this way, that surely God, over, over millenniums of, of eternity, if that's even a correct term, was thinking out all of this and, and then filing it. I'm going to make this beetle and then I'll file it. And then in the six-day creation, he said, now let's just bring all these files together. 
I can kind of get there a little bit that way. But all of this in six days, I don't know. You know just, God did this. He just did this. And the Bible says in six days, by the breath of his mouth, and I think we must, if we're going to believe anything else in the Scripture, we must believe that that is so. If we doubt that, and I've seen this happen, if you doubt the first chapter of Genesis, you will have no solid place to build on for any other belief. It will all just evaporate and shift, and you'll begin to doubt many other things. So don't begin to go there. The letter R, W-O-R, in the word world, we have until 10, 15, is that right? Or 10? 10, 10. The R is the restraining and sovereign guiding work. That's maybe too much, but that's what I have here because I want to, to uh, think of that as God, we're moving now away from creation. We could spend more time there, but we want to we think about his, his work by His Spirit in the world, how He has worked and how He has, is working yet among the nations. He is the sovereign, and He's working by His Spirit. When, when you think of God being everywhere, we are speaking of the Spirit of God. We're speaking of God being a spirit. God is in this room with us. And he's in our hearts. And he is there by his spirit. So we want to speak about how God works among the nations and among the kings. And how he restrains and how he guides. And a little picture of this, this is a very vivid picture that we don't want to, to forget is God guiding the nation of Israel. We just, we just go there. In a way, that overlaps a little with tomorrow, but we have too much tomorrow to fit this in. So what we are thinking about here is God being present in guiding the nations. Now, if God is going to guide the nations, you know how it was here with the children of Israel. It's a blessed thought. These people could look out of their tent. Think of that. All night long, they could be troubled about something and, and uh, reach over and pull the flap back and see the pillar of fire there and lay back and rest again. Beautiful thing. They didn't understand what they had. And in the daytime, a cloud, and sometimes that cloud then, in God directing, he wasn't just directing individuals here. He was directing a nation of people. That's why we had this here, this picture. This cloud would lift up and it would go over and move to the east or west or north or south. And that was the signal for them to pack up their things and get ready to move and disassemble the tabernacle and make preparations for further journeying. Well, God actually is guiding the nations. Now I know you may think of this as a stretch as you think of is God really guiding Trump? And is God really guiding the ruler of uh, North Korea? And is God really guiding the ruler of China? That just now, by the way, was given a few days ago, was given a, a mandate that he has an indefinite term. He can just simply be there, just like Mao Zedong and, and some earlier in history. Pretty amazing. 
How did all this happen? How, how did all this happen in, in our nation in the last few years? And what's what's happening with Israel and, and the United States and, and Korea? Is God actually working? Yes. God is working in every conference room. He is working in the bedchambers of the kings. He is in their hearts and minds, causing them to change their mind to do this or that. Everything is happening according to the will of God. <clears throat> he is restraining. He is guiding. Proverbs 21.1 says this. It's, a, it's just an amazing scripture to think about as you try to get a grip on, on what God is doing and how He works. It says this, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water he guided it whithersoever he will. Beautiful thought about our God and how he is working by his spirit. I want to think about another little incident here and we think about uh, God guiding kings. This is Moses before Pharaoh. And we know how the scripture says that that Pharaoh, now Pharaoh was a king of Egypt, he was, he was great in power, he had his opinion, he had his thoughts, he had his mind, he had his wealth, he was governor, he could do whatever he wanted. But when Moses was sent to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt, the Lord said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Think about that. Think about the power to go inside a man's mind and just harden his heart. There's something very significant. As you, if you ever are tempted to think that God unfairly is sovereign over the hearts and minds of men, think about this. The word hardened there means strengthened. God did not take Pharaoh and change him from a believer in God to a defier of God. That's not what God did. Pharaoh had already chosen a path of life. He was well rooted there. And God just strengthened him. Just gave him a further stubbornness in the path he had already chosen. So ponder that thought as you think of, of uh, God working with men. Now one of God's purposes in working among men is, is that his name might be known. And when you think of, like, there will be further consideration this week about evangelism as, as we, as His people, endeavor to spread His name. But think about this, about God's working, when you think of, of His purposes in a couple incidents. For example, in the book of Daniel, we read the account of, of uh, Nebuchadnezzar coming and and besieging Jerusalem and taking Daniel and many other captives over to Babylon. And most of our thoughts have to do with the fact that God was, was punishing Israel. But is that all that God was doing? I want you to think about what happened with the name of God being spread as the Spirit of God put in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar 
to go attack Jerusalem. That's what happened. The Spirit of God spoke through Nebuchadnezzar, persuaded him to take an interest in rallying his army together, traveling many miles with his great army over to Jerusalem, besieging it, taking captives. Daniel and his fellows were among them, and they ended up in Babylon. So we're thinking, most of our thoughts are around the children of Israel as we think of that. So we think of poor Daniel and, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and all of those uh, people that, were, that suffered so. Our focus often is on them. Notice these scriptures. <clears throat> In Daniel, let's, let's go to the book of Daniel and just read a few passages that give us further insight into why God is working among the nations. <clears throat> book of Daniel, in the third chapter... Notice what took place, third chapter and the 28th verse, <coughs> after the event of the fiery furnace. Now this Nebuchadnezzar, remember, was a man that was over a great realm. There were hundreds of provinces and whenever the king spoke or sent out a decree it went by post it is by, by messengers no doubt on horseback who were couriers, they were traveling rapidly into every province and spreading the king's word everywhere. After the fiery furnace, then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, language which speak anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other god that can deliver after this sword. So that decree went out into the whole realm of Babylon, never had happened before, about this God. The story was told about what God did. And it happened by the Spirit of God working in the heart of Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> After Nebuchadnezzar had ate grass for seven years, Daniel the fourth chapter, the first verse, Nebuchadnezzar the king, unto all people, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. And he told the whole story. And then in verse 37, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his way is judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. Chapter 6. After the den of lions, <clears throat> what happened? Verse 26, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever, 
and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth and worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. That message went out unto all the earth. So, think of what the Spirit of God had in mind when he first placed into the heart of Nebuchadnezzar to go attack Jerusalem. It's a neat thought. It really is. God was planning by his spirit, working in the hearts of kings to make his name known. I want to think of someone else. This is Cyrus, perhaps a poor rendering, but king of Persia. This is later on now after Persia had overtaken Babylon, this, this Cyrus was not a man of God. He was a man of the world. But he was king. And let's turn to Isaiah and just read a couple of verses there as we think of God, Isaiah 44, as we think of God by His Spirit working in the hearts of kings. Isaiah, the 44th chapter, and the 28th verse, 27th and 28, saith to the deep, be dry, this is speaking of God, that saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and shall perform all my pleasure, even say to Jerusalem, thou shalt be built, and to the temple thy foundation shall be laid. So this is just portrayed that in some way God was going to use King Cyrus, this ungodly man. Did not actually have a close relationship with God and yet God was going to use him to do a great work. Let's look at another place. 2 Chronicles 36 that gives us a, maybe a clearer picture. Chronicles, the 36th chapter, and the 22nd verse. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, let's, let's notice here, let's see something else. Here's, here's the kingdom of Persia. And God's people of Israel were just right over there along the Mediterranean Sea. But how vast this kingdom is. And Cyrus, king of Persia, in the first year, that the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. Think of this now. God is, is first prophesying by His Spirit through prophets and then working in the heart of kings. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation through all his kingdom, and put it also in writing. Thus saith Cyrus king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the Lord of the earth hath the Lord God of heaven given me. Amazing statement there. And he hath charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him, 
and let him go. So this is like a third party here looking over and saying, the Lord is moving me in my heart to build the temple over Jerusalem. So all you people that are his people, let your heart be stirred up to go. But he's, he's uninvolved, and yet he is being moved to be involved by the Spirit of God. Amazing thing. Amazing thing. We need to keep keep moving along here. But but just think of this. Think of something else. One more, one more example. Second Kings, the fifth chapter. Let's look at this. As we think of the events that take place in the in out in our lives, in the lives of those in the scripture, and how they are moved and and manipulated and turned by the Spirit of God. Again, I'm going to mention a couple more. Second Kings, the fifth chapter, the second verse. It says, now this is the story of Naaman. And you know, you know the story of how Naaman had leprosy and a little maid that happened to be working in his house in the middle of Naaman's dilemma said, well, it'd really be good if you checked with the prophet that's in Samaria. Where does the little maid come from? This says, the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. So there was a day when, when Syrians rushed into a village and took people captive and whisk up this little girl and put her on horseback between two big soldiers and hauled her away. Now there can't be anything good about that. Or can there? The Spirit of God is working. So that just a couple of years later, as she's laboring there in the house, she mentions to Naaman's wife that there is a solution over in Israel Naaman seeks that out and is cleansed of his leprosy and glory is given to God in another nation. The spreading of the name of God. Another example, and we, we can spend all kinds of time on these examples because they're, they're just beautiful. Turn to Esther, the sixth chapter. And again, we're thinking, let's not lose sight of this, we're thinking of how God is working in the world. And that means how God is working among kings, how he's, how he's moving affairs, how He's making His name known, how He's delivering His people. The sixth chapter of Esther. You all know the story of Esther, how that, how that uh, I mean, this is another part of, of this, of God working in His sovereignty of uh, Queen Vashti being unfaithful, if, if she actually was, she may have actually been a uh, woman of, of some virtue that refused to do something immodest and immoral. We don't know the fullness of that. But, but she was deposed, and, and by a force of events that we know God brought into play, Esther, the young girl, the young virgin, was placed there in the king's palace as queen. So the story of Mordecai and, and uh, who would not bow down to Haman and, and think of all that, how God was working. That's our point. God was working by His Spirit 
in the mind of Mordecai, who was working in the mind of Haman, to bring about an accusation and try to condemn all the people of the Jews. But notice in this, in this sixth chapter of Esther, as the Lord attempts to bring Mordecai into position and power, prominence, and into view, on that night the king could not sleep. What's happening here? The Spirit of God is is uh, working in the mind of the king and he can't even sleep and so he calls what's he do here he commanded to bring the book of the records of the chronicles and they were read before the king so here's this these big books there was probably hundreds of these books over on the shelves and they just they just picked one out did they no Spirit of God was in that choice of which book of the Chronicles to bring out and read to the king. And he read there how Mordecai had actually saved his life a few years ago and nobody had ever honored him in any way. And you know the rest of the story. The point is God was working in the hearts of kings and there's, there's too much to tell. But I just... I just want us to think about this as we think of, of this truth that God is working, He's restraining, He's sovereignly guiding, that we as God's people can be completely at peace with what's happening in the nations of the world. God is in control. Are you worried about North Korea? Worry no more. God's plan is being done there. His will be performed. God's working among the nations. The next letter, L, <clears throat> is for listening. That's something God is doing by His Spirit. He's here in this room just now, and He's listening. He's listening. Many scriptures we could go to, we'll not go to many at all, just a couple, that give us the knowledge that God is everywhere by His Spirit listening to the cries of the children of men. His ears, His eyes are open to their cry. He's everywhere present. This is happening by the Spirit of God being present in every place. Let's look at a couple, at a couple places. <clears throat> Psalm 77. Let's go there. 77th Psalm. And when you see this, you will... You will know that it's just one of many of like it. Psalm 77, and it's the first verse. Notice this blessed statement. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and He gave ear unto me. I forgot to show you that picture. That's that's the restless king there. Pretty poor picture. But uh, that's the king just uh, not being able to sleep. And I just picked that up and thought it was, thought it was a good one. Um, we'll just leave this here now. Uh, as we think of, of God working over the nations, just, just picture this, that God is over all the nations and He is the governor. He is the governor. Things are going on, not, not the evil in the world, but the nations are being guided and actually governed by our sovereign God. We'll just leave that one there for you to look at. 
But he's listening. So Psalm 77, 1 says this, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. And so forth. We'll not keep reading. But the truth is that God is right here and can hear your thoughts, can hear your cries, can hear your pain. Even if you're not praying, He's listening. Psalm 94 this is in reference to the people of Israel in the middle of their idolatry and their sin having this little notion, 94.9, having this little notion, and maybe you've had this before, have you ever, have you ever um, had this feeling when you're in the midst of, of, of yielding to a temptation that, that God's not watching? Or, or you make a comment that is a very critical, carelessly critical comment of one of your brothers or sisters or someone in the church and think that God is not hearing. This scripture says this, He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? The whole concept of hearing is given by God. So, Will he not hear? Of course, the truth is that he will. Psalm 116.2 says, Because he hath inclined his ear unto me, therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. Now this, this points out something further. Not only can he hear, but he has inclined his ear unto us. So not only can he hear, but he is wanting to listen. He is wanting to hear. He is waiting to hear. It's a wonderful thought. We were told a little story by uh, Jared Fingerly here, was there the other evening, and, and uh, just think about this as God is working in the world. Think about him listening even to unbelievers. This man works for him, and uh, a man that was not a church-going man, he was just... Uh, one of his employees and a good man, but not uh, not religious or a man of faith at all. But he had a problem with smoking a pipe, and, and his wife wished he would quit, and he wanted to quit, and he, he was just so frustrated with himself that he could not get over this habit. He was just a heavy pipe smoker. And finally, he called upon God to help him. He thought, God, if, you, if I'm going to get over this, you're going to have to help me. And he went and rounded up all his pipes and his tobacco, all his paraphernalia, and he threw the whole mess into the fire. Well, then he was a little bit afraid to wake up in the morning because in the morning he was going to be craving this thing again. You know, and he didn't have access to it. And he began to pray for God to take this away from him. And he woke up in the morning and had no desire at all for smoking a pipe. Hallelujah. And still doesn't. Amen. 
And so he began going to church as a believer now and is telling the story. He's passing out tracts. He can't, he can't get the message out fast enough what God did to him. And God heard him while he was yet in unbelief. Now, isn't that amazing? And that's, that's a new dimension of God listening to people's cry. God listening. <clears throat> the letter D. The letter D is simply drawing. Drawing. Think of God's work that He is doing among the children of men and think of drawing. I want to go to a scripture second in, uh, in Peter, second chapter, and I think this is First Peter. <laughs> the second chapter. <clears throat> Sorry, second Peter. The second chapter. We must have wrote down the wrong reference. It, it's, a, it's the verse that says, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. Yeah, 1 Peter, I'm sorry. 1 Peter 2 and 12. I'm looking at 1 and 12. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which ye, they shall behold, glorify God, in the day of visitation. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure about this, and I'd like to get feedback from some of you what the day of visitation is, but this is what I think it is. You have your conversation or your conduct, your way of life, your manner of doing business, honest and upright before the Gentiles. And in that day, when God visits them, to draw to himself, they will respond and give glory to God. That's what I think this means. So this is saying, if we're correct here, that God is wanting to woo, he's wanting to draw, he's wanting to reach out to unbelievers and draw them to himself. And your witness to them, your witness, your life, your testimony, is that thing which will guide them to that point of receiving. The word witness in the scripture is mostly a noun. It's something you are. It's something you, you are in life. Something you are living out. And they see this. They see this. And that point when the Lord begins to draw them, this will all come together. I want to think of this as I think of drawing. Just, just know this, that, that this is the, the manner of, of the Lord's drawing is wooing. It is winning. So keep this in mind, you, you young sisters, if you're ever married and discover yourself in a situation where your husband is not, not doing the will of God. Think about the manner of the Lord's work in drawing people back to Himself. It is not preaching to them. It is not criticizing them. It is not forcing them. 
It is not pushing and shoving. It is wooing. His manner of working is wooing. It is drawing. It is loving. It is caring. And the response comes quickly, much quicker than any other method that you might be tempted to use. And sometimes we are tempted to use other methods. Question that that uh, is presented in this in this thought in this topic is how long will the Lord woo? How long will he will he call? How how long will he work with the children of men? Back in Genesis, the sixth chapter, the third verse, God said this: My spirit will not always strive with man. Like there will be an end of my working with men and my wooing and my drawing. It will not be forever. And we know that to be true. I want to want to go to a scripture in the in the seventh chapter of Acts to just point out something as we think of God's work in the Old Testament and Him working by the Spirit of God. This is the uh, seventh chapter of Acts. Much of it is the story for Stephen is martyred, but before he is stoned, he gives them a long history of Israel. And he says this in the 51st verse. He begins to chide them and to admonish the people that he's speaking with, which is the Jewish elders and scribes and Pharisees. He says, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. Then he says, As your fathers did, so do ye. So he was saying, he was pointing back to the Old Testament ages, and he was saying it was the Holy Ghost that was working with them, trying to call them, and they resisted. So as you think of, you ever wonder in your mind, was it really? I mean, I thought, I thought the Spirit was given at Pentecost. Was it really the Holy Ghost working back then? Stephen said, yes, it was. It was the Holy Ghost trying to work with your fathers and they rebelled against that working so God's striving is long it's long but it's not forever and God was actually working in those ages past by his spirit it was by the Holy Ghost I want to leave you a, a question to ponder we may do this at the end of, of each of our talks um, I know the testimony might not be the first thing that you young people pick up as it comes into your home, but in there we put a little section called Questions to Ponder. And we try to, we try to make those questions questions that are, that are convicting, not just trivia questions like how many sons did Jacob have or, or that sort of thing. That's not what we try to put in there, but, but questions that are actually, that move the heart, that move the spirit. As you, as you think about this topic today, and as you think about trying to understand the, the working of the spirit of God in the world, 
and its effect, its impact, and the, and the resistance that men have had to the Spirit of God, and the evil that seems to be increasing. I think if you're, if you're like me, there are times when, when you may think within yourself or, or even pray this, Lord, please, please come. There is so much sorrow. There is so much wickedness. There is so much unbelief. Sometimes it seems like evil is winning. As you think all those thoughts, just a question to ponder, not a, not a deep one, but one still to think upon and praise God for. Question is this. Just think of the nations today. What would the state of the nations today be if it were not for the restraining work of the Spirit of God? Just ponder that question. We uh, worked several years ago in a home in, in Dayton. There was there was a uh, black man who was there on a, I think he was on a drywall crew or something. And there had been quite a bit of, of violence in, in a particular area in Dayton. And people live in those subdivisions. I mean, they, they live there. They live where bullets are flying and, and people are dying. And... Uh, so we, we knew what street was the focus of the last few weeks. There had been a lot of deaths and drug uh, gang wars and things. And so uh, we asked him where, where he lived, and he told us uh, the street he was on. We said, well, uh, is, that, uh, is that in that dangerous area there where there's been so much trouble? Oh, no, he said, that's, that's the next street over. He had gotten so used to this violent atmosphere that, like, no, he wasn't in the danger zone. It was over here, a block or two. But what would it be? What would it be if there were no restraint? Think of the, the thievery and the robbers and, and things that are going on real close to us. Sometimes, I mean, we've heard a couple of times, one day we woke up to the news that there had been a a uh, fight in a field just about a half a mile north of us and someone killed someone else with a butcher knife out in the country, just not too far from us. What would this world be if there were no restraint? And we have lived there, we have lived there now 20-some years and sometimes left the keys in our car and have had no, have had no trouble. But what would it be if there was no restraint? by the Spirit of God.